Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the New Ground Life and Leadership Podcast, here to help you thrive as a follower of Jesus wherever you are and in whatever you're going through. Today, I am super excited to be joined by a good friend of mine, Chris Ashurst. Uh, Chris, along with his wife, Jill, have been in a New Frontiers church even before it was a New Frontiers church um, on the, the sunny south coast of England in a town called Seaford. Uh, Chris and Jill were part of the church with Terry Virgo in the early days um, and lived in Seaford uh, as a married couple from 1971 until just a few years ago, 2018. So that's 47 years uh, in Seaford, building the church, advancing the kingdom and serving the purposes of God. And then in 2018, moved from there to Bonnie, Scotland, to Edinburgh, to be to be involved in the church there. And uh, since then, God has taken you and Jill on quite a, a journey, I believe. And seeing you on BBC Scotland News kind of piqued my interest to make me think we should really have a, a conversation, Chris, to find out what God's done in your life recently and to find out what he's using you in to influence the, the powers that be and the higher authorities in the land. Um, so, Chris, that's I mean, I should also say, before, you know, you are one of the most inspiring uh, men I know who have played a huge role in mentoring myself um so our listeners can blame you for a lot of my noisiness and opinions um but chris welcome to the new ground podcast great to have you with us thanks cheers chris why don't you just uh give us an indication of what you're up to in scotland and why it was that you came to appear on bbc scotland news well appearing on bbc scotland news and even doing what i am doing and we're doing at the moment uh, is as much of a surprise to me as it is to everyone else. Uh, we're living in a wonderful part of Edinburgh. We have a flat. We live on the fourth floor. We'd never lived in a flat before. We'd all li always lived in a house. And we moved here, uh, as we said, in 2018. Uh, we have a balcony, and I've just had my lunch sitting on the balcony, looking out over the Royal Yacht Britannia. Uh, it is a beautiful place. Having said that, we live in a high-rise flat and uh, there are problems with high-rise flats across the United Kingdom and indeed further than that across the world. Uh, many will have heard of the dreadful disaster at Grenfell and the deaths and uh, the, the injuries and, and the, just the horrible thing that happened in that disaster. And that was attributable to some of the materials that were used in the construction of the buildings. Uh, so we, we live in our uh, development where there's 279 flats uh, and they, they go up quite high. And the people here obviously became concerned about, well, is our flat safe? Is it all right? And uh, we undertook quite a lot of research and we were trying to work out what the score was and how it could be dealt with. And we came to the conclusion initially that actually the, the materials in our flat were really pretty safe. Uh, we've had to moderate that a little bit lately. But across, as part of the process of trying to find out what the problem was, we were all scratching our heads. We were all laymen, we were just um, owners. And we tried to find out what we should be looking for. And there are some other lovely developments on either side of ours, almost the same as ours, but built by different builders. And uh, if we're sitting here trying to work out what our problem is, presumably there are people in that building and the other building trying to work out what the problem is. In fact, there's probably people all across Scotland trying to work out what the problem is and how it can be dealt with. And as I began to research it more and more, I found that there were people living in flats in Scotland that were indeed built with the um, dangerous cladding. And there were people living in flats in Glasgow who, who were basically surrounded by highly flammable material. And people were, uh, the mental health issues that were flowing from that were enormous. There was a, there was a, a survey undertaken which showed that people um, living in these flats had a huge percentage uh, who, who had suicidal thoughts, who couldn't sleep, who were suffering mental health problems. There were people living in the flats who had their packs, their, their bags packed by the front door to leave in case it caught fire during the night. 
and just that people couldn't move house. They couldn't um, go to a new job and getting new property where they were going to live. So we had a GP living here who was going to move, you know, uh, within Scotland, but outside of Edinburgh and they needed to move, but they couldn't sell their flat because the banks had become alert to this and they weren't going to lend on properties unless they had some sort of certification to prove that it was a good lending uh, proposition. So basically the flat market um, ceased to exist. That may be slightly an overstatement, but for mortgage purposes where there were high rise flats, uh, there were what were called nil values put on flats. So if I went to my estate agent and said, please you sell my flat, they say, well, have you got a certificate showing it's safe? Well, no, we haven't because actually there's hardly anyone doing them and we're not quite sure where that's going. Um, well, it's got a nil value, so we, we can't put it on the market. Now, that has moderated since then, but that was the situation. And uh, this was weighing on me quite a bit. And uh, I was sitting in um, church on a Sunday morning um, and a good friend of mine, Luke Evodiatis, uh was preaching and there's that wonderful account in jeremiah 29 uh, which is everyone quotes jeremiah 29 because they quote the bit about i know the plans i have for you plans for good not for but it was actually before that and here are the people of god going into exile now we didn't feel uh, as an englishman that we were in scotland in exile but as christians we're in a in a foreign land and uh, the warning to the people, the, the uh, encouragement actually to the people as they were going into exile, in exile, no, set, get home, settle down, get married and pray for the welfare of the city, seek the welfare of the city, city for in its welfare is your welfare. And uh, this, you know, this wonderful Old Testament passage really just spoke into my heart and Luke was applying it and said you know we're living in this world we have to take action I made notes at the time because I, it was like I was pinned to the chair because I was taking the position someone ought to do something about this <laughs> and I was sitting there that morning and just absolutely feeling from God well the someone is you you've got to do something about it so I immediately wrote to the Scottish housing minister and I wrote to several people on one of the it's the, in at Holyrood in the Scottish Parliament and I got an immediate response it appeared that they were having a meeting to discuss this very point and try and understand it and I was called to give evidence 10 days later uh, at Holyrood I was determined that this was a really serious issue but we were not going to take the stance of so many people who were really angry and rightly angry and really upset who would quite like to hang several politicians or bankers or builders from the highest yard arm they could find available and have chained themselves to the railings. And I, we set out an ethos statement, which was that we are not a protest movement, but to be part of the solution. So the objective is that we want to give hope to people and we've shared things with um, politicians and with civil servants who I have to say I'm very impressed with indeed. And uh, they, we have our discussions and sometimes I bring in an idea and they say, well, where did that idea come from? And I say to them, hey, well, you know, I call it one of my night thoughts. I said, we need to understand that people are praying for us. The church is that I'm part of and other churches and Christians are praying for us that we get a resolution. Yeah, the whole thing is that we, we wanted to convey, I don't just mean as Christians, but the government too, a message of hope. But from my point of view and from God's point of view, he loves these people who are living in the flats. He cares about the lady who's sleeping in her flat with her bags packed by the front door. He cares about the people who can't sleep at night. He cares about the people who can't add to their families. And it's so important that people understand that our God is a God who loves these people and is concerned and, and actually was concerned enough to speak to a guy um, 
called Jeremiah hundreds of years ago, calls him to write down what he said to his people then, calls a preacher in a church in Edinburgh to take that text at this time, preach from it. He cares enough that he applied it to my heart. And from that has come something that um, is, is out there to, to give hope to these people. Show actually, God is interested in the detail of your life. And do you know, no one laughs. No one laughs when you say, actually, that was an idea and people have been praying and, and they go, all right, okay, you know. And so, um, yeah, have they all become Christian? No, not yet. Well, no, I mean, that's almost beside, not beside the point, but your your opening statement of seeking the prosperity of the city. And I think that's, you know, you talk about the ways that God has orchestrated thus far. Well, you know, going further back than that, I know it's a way that you and you and Jill have lived this way for many years as followers of Christ. You've tried to seek the prosperity, we say, of the city. But I mean, it actually what we mean is the individual men and women that you've come into contact with, the way that you live as someone who... Um, who loves people and tries to express God's heart for them. Um, tell us a bit more about what you, because I, I think this is remarkable what God's doing in you and through you through, uh, going to Scotland. And I'd love to just kind of get under the lid a little bit of, and help our listeners understand how you came to Scotland, not necessarily all of the intricate prophetic words that led you there, but the way of life that you've pursued for if I say decades, will that age you too much? But for decades, um, as, someone, as a man of wisdom and experience with God, what are some of the principles that you've had in place for many years in the way that you've learned to seek God across the course of your life that led to you moving to Scotland, if that makes sense? I think it has to be said, first of all, that I haven't always lived this way, even as a professing Christian. I had uh, sin and stuff in my life I had to deal with in a big way, even whilst going to church but God is a God who's rich in mercy and uh, because he's shown mercy to me I want to see him showing that mercy to other people and yeah it's right I, either I'm just a nosy person and I like to know about people or God's put a love in my heart because he's interested in people so when I meet people I love to find out more about them and get to know them and I my ultimate would be to see them come to know the Lord so we've tried to live in a way that lives that out and uh, been involved in the church both in Seaford and Eastbourne when we were living down that way and uh, the decisions that we made in life uh, particularly over the last well 50, 20 years or so have been well what is it that God wants us to do and uh, we found that we were really thrilled with being involved in a great church and seeing many come to know the Lord and so on, not particularly through, through me, it wasn't, but it was part of what the church was doing and seeing lives turned around, it was absolutely thrilling. But of course, then you, people in church, whether they are paid or whether they are not, can get very involved in doing an awful lot. And we came to a stage where we, we were beginning to get older. We were, I'd retired from work. I'd spent, I think, uh, 10 years uh, working at King's at Eastbourne. Um, but, hey, what are we doing? Where are we going? We're getting older. Maybe we need to downsize our house. All the, all the questions that people in life face. But we wanted to make those decisions based on well, what God got in store. And people laugh at me because uh, I, I don't believe that Christians retire. Uh, they may change what they do, but they, you can't retire. You can't retire from being a Christian. Being a Christian is because God's put his life in you and granted you forgiveness and brought you to himself and given you a relationship with him, a new life. And you can't retire from that. You don't retire from life. You die and you don't retire from Christian life neither do you die you just move into another uh, uh, another place which will be even better than the flat I'm living in at the minute without any cladding without the cladding absolutely <laughs> well, I think I'd love to hear the, the story in a sec of I know how God spoke to you quite specifically about moving but just um, let's pause there for a second in the story because 
I'd love to just ask that question and tease out a bit more. Um, the, how do you resist the, the trappings or, uh, of an affluent society with all of its comfort and pleasures on offer to someone who is within their rights to just retire and relax and put their feet up, so to speak? How do you, and that can be very tempting, just you know, spend the next 20 years working on your house, making it as you know, pristine as you can. And not necessarily anything wrong with that, of course. But how do you resist those trappings as a Christian? How, do, how have you personally managed to do that? Well, I think the driving thing is that God has called us to a relationship with him. And what we want to do, and we don't always get it right. I'm not speaking from having a, a, a having arrived position. But what I want to do and what gives me joy and what gives Joe joy is when we please God. And what could be more pleasing to God than do what he wants? So we need to find out what he wants. And, uh, you know, possessions and stuff aren't, aren't all they're cracked up to be, you know. Um, you know, I was very fortunate in my career. I had a, a job where I was, I mean, I was earning far more money than I ever ought to have done. I mean, you know, there were huge sums. Um, I thought they were huge anyway. But, you know, it didn't count for much because what satisfies is satisfying God and knowing that you're pleasing God and seeing fruit from his life working out through you. So that drove us really not terribly interested in kind of big houses. I mean, the, the flat we're in, I'm amazed we're in. We, we saw a picture of it when we were on the train actually traveling up to Edinburgh when we were house hunting. And I looked, it actually flashed up on my computer. It was on, on the desk on the train. There's this picture of this amazing flat. And, you know, it's got this ensuite and it's got this, this kind of wardrobe area. It's got this, that, and the other. And, wow, look at that. Goodness gracious. We'd never live in a place like that. And here we are. So I was just amazed. But it doesn't do it for me. What does it is knowing that God's um, got our hearts, our hearts. And so that's what is pleasing. And, and yeah, are there other temptations? You, you, Jez, you know me. I, I love taking photographs. I love doing this, that, and the other. I'll go and, you know, if I'm not careful, I'll go and buy a new camera at the drop of a hat and all this sort of stuff. But now I have to try and... Uh, limit that so what does what does god want here and so i need to give my resources and my life to what god's got in store so when god um puts a call on your life or gives you a gift he doesn't withdraw it at age 65 he doesn't say it's in the it's in my agreement with you that when you get to 65 you go off and do something else why would you want to do that when you serve God, you know, until your dying day, if God gives us health and strength, then that's wonderful. So, um, you know, I, I see that modelled around me. I see that modelled in New Frontiers. I see that, you know, and people like Terry Virgo. Has he died? Well, it didn't seem so from what I was seeing on Facebook last week. Yeah, he keeps going. Did Billy Graham retire? Oh, I don't think so. He kept writing books. He kept doing stuff. Yeah, I guess one of the challenges, and I was talking only this morning to someone in the church who's who's just retired and is now from work, paid work, and is now really wrestling with his personal sense of vocation identity because he's no longer got a paid job. What he was using his skills for before, he's not using them for anymore. And he's he's walking a bit through a wilderness of trying to work out, well, who am I and what do I do now? And what I find fascinating about yours and encouraging about your story is, so you were... Um, you were an insolvency practitioner professionally um sorry to out you <laughs> um but in the time that i've known you you've taught english as a foreign language to um immigrants in eastbourne um and now you're in scotland on a housing kind of building regulations committee neither of those two roles in the community where you trained in any aspect but suddenly you became an english teacher and you trained yourself you came to ukraine on mission and we taught some teachers or you taught some teachers out there to teach english um 
can you just speak to that person though who's just retired and is kind of sitting around wondering with the sense of personal crisis how do i find the will of god for my life now what are some things that you've got in place that have helped keep you um in a position where you're able to hear from god and believing that god's going to use you i think the first thing to realize is that we are not called by god to do we are called by god to be and uh, a good friend of mine uh, who in fact was pastor at the church in Seaford before Terry even came to the church in Seaford. Uh, I, I was at his, I think, 70th birthday bash, however many years ago that was, and the word retirement came into the conversation and he was saying, well, I don't really get this retirement word. And a mutual friend of ours had said to him, Phil, um, you can't retire from what you are. You never stop being you. And if God has put stuff in you, then you must allow that to work out in the best possible way. Now, it may have worked out in a professional career that you were doing a lot of things. But if your reliance, of course, was on that for your identity, then that can become a problem. So when there's a change of life, you have to go back to uh, be fairly ruthless and say, well, what is it that God has called me to do? What's he gifted me in? What, how has he made me? Now, as I said before, either I'm nosy or I just like people, but I can't stop talking to people. So, you know, if I'm at a bus stop, I'll strike up a conversation within, you know, seconds. And, uh, and I've got a little card that I give to people um, if the conversation goes in a particular way, which is a very gentle little thing about introducing them to myself um, that they can look up later. There's no pressure on them. And, and, yeah, I just love meeting people, whether they're, you know, I met Stradley in, in Edinburgh, in Leith and so on. We have quite a few drug addicts and people around and people with all sorts of issues. Oh, they're great. Get on well with them. And I don't know hundreds of them, but if I meet them, we get on. And but then, strange, of course, also in Edinburgh, we have four or five universities, so it's yeah, curry. And I just love meeting people. So God has given me something of His heart for people, whether it's teachers in Ukraine, um, you know, illegal immigrants in Eastbourne, people just wanting to learn the language, whether it's people living in houses. There's something of God's heart which has spilled over that has to work out. So if you're going through a change in life, you have to be slightly radical and take time probably and, and counsel with friends and particularly counsel with God. God, what do I do in this new season? What have you made me for? What have you made me for? Say so if you've got a prophetic gift, and maybe you just really need to be culturing that and talking with the leaders in the church where you are. How do you see that working out? Do you actually think I have got a prophetic gift or am I kidding myself? Let's have some serious talks here. And part of our move here was that we saw a super guy from Mosaic Church in Berlin. And he said, you've got to be ruthless with yourself. Because you don't want to waste the years that are ahead of you. You don't want to waste them. God's given you these, so use them for his glory. But you might need to take time to do it properly to find out, well, what, what are the things that really God's called me to and actually really make me work and really make me play my part in the body of Christ? We come back to the 1 Corinthians passage, don't we, about, you know, everyone plays their part. They've got this. Yes, so what's your gift? How are you going to let that? gift of god work out or are you going to just waste it and put it on the side maybe it hasn't been developed enough okay you're 60 65 nothing to stop you developing it now go for it but you need to know what's god saying to you not get involved in flights of fancy do it with the counsel of you know your leaders in your church and good friends around you we did that ourselves and we also took time to speak with other people who weren't christians who loved us and cared for us what their views and and our family our kids and uh yeah talk it through with them so there were no misunderstandings along the way and and so my son who's not 
actually walking with God at the moment, but he's still, he rang me the other day and he's, Dad, I'm concerned about you. What are you doing about this? So he will speak direct to me. So I need to hear that. And Chris, there's something that I've always just admired and loved about you is you are, you have such a soft heart and are, and are so teachable. Um, how have you cultivated that? Is that intentional? Or is that just your predisposition? You're, you're naturally open. You know, someone as wise and as um, competent as you are, uh, and I don't say that to flatter you, I mean that, but yeah, I think you re remain open, believing that anyone, you know, regardless of their status or how well they might know you or not know you, anyone could speak into your life. Um, you seem to be, uh, yeah, you seem to have remained soft-hearted to that. How have you managed to do that? Well, I don't know, I've remained soft-hearted, I think, through my own experience and my own sin, really, that I found that I was... Uh, I'm an only child, I, so I didn't have brothers or sisters. I have some really good friends uh, who are girls, <laughs> um, but they they kind of adopted me as a sister brother and and would speak into, it. and they were really and they would actually speak very directly to me, very directly. Um, but I was essentially an only child, and I was brought up in a society where people very much get themselves themselves, especially, you know, from a certain background. And uh, my father died when I was 14. Uh, it was a difficult time to put, put it mildly. And um, so I became quite um, protective, didn't share things, was quite deceitful in all the, my ways. So God had to deal with that. Um, but having dealt with it, what a joy to know that you can open yourself up to others and allow them to speak. And it's safety, isn't it? Why wouldn't you? So um, not only that, and it's not only safety, it helps you develop. I mean, one of the um, politicians that I'm speaking with and have become very friendly, well, no, he's not, I'm not very friendly with him, but I have become a friend, uh, is uh, he, he adopts an entirely different lifestyle from mine. And he knows I, I don't go along with that. He has a gay lifestyle, which isn't, what I would adopt, but we have a respect for one another. And I've learned from him, you know, and I've seen him working and he's, he's currently working in a different sphere because he's, he's now doing something else within politics, but he's so caring. Am I saying that's fine, that's everything's all right? No, not, he knows that, but we can learn from people like that. Um, and, you know, so let's, yeah, let's be learning. So if you're 60, 65, don't give up. Don't don't go off to Barbados, sit on the beach and waste your life. <laughs> but I know, I mean, you you wouldn't, um, in saying that, I can hear what you're saying, of course, in the Barbados comment, but I also know you like to in, enjoy traveling. You have a, your camper van, you go around the country. Um, so it's not a question of um, denying everything in the world. Well, actually, I think the two things are linked in what I've just said then and your comment about your your politician friend. I think in the church, there's this, we have this concept from Augustine of common grace and understanding that God's general goodness is at work in the world. And I think in the church, we can make, we can define that too narrowly that it's basically about, Oh, you know, we're alive and we're moral and that's got, I and mean, we are all got a natural gift and that's God's common grace to us. Whereas actually I think common grace is a lot more expansive and, and a lot broader than we realize that there is goodness in the world. And, and actually as God's sons and daughters, we get to enjoy and experience all of God's gifts that he's given us as an act of worship to him. Um, talk to, I mean, you've been in, in church, as you mentioned, as we mentioned, in New Frontiers churches for a long time. Um, what would be some of your advice to people in churches uh, sitting under pastors, some of whom, um, particularly given the age demographic that we're perhaps talking to in this podcast, some of those pastors may be several decades younger than the, than the individuals are in the church. And I can imagine it must be hard for people of, those, of, a, of an age to receive and listen to young men and women who are several decades younger than them with a lot less life experience and wisdom. And yet again, you're someone who, who received, who listened to me preach, let's put it that way, courteously <laughs> and was encouraging. And I've, I've, you know, and, and are willing to hear God speaking, whoever the the um, the messenger is. So, my I guess my question is, after all of that, <laughs> my question is, 
what advice would you give to people going through different church experiences how do you how do they stay involved and passionate about the mission of the local church without becoming jaded and cynical there that's my question <laughs> well i i i think you become jaded and cynical uh probably when either you're going wrong or some something else is going wrong um God places us in families and he places us in church. The Christian life was never meant to be lived in isolation. And as you know, Jez, of course, you, you have, you know, you've got your mom and you've got your in-laws and you've got your kids. So you've got, it's a family and that's how it is. And in church, we are family and we need old and young, experienced and inexperienced. And sometimes the inexperienced old git or the experienced old gits sit back and say, well, they didn't do it like that when I was younger. 20 years ago, we did it like this and it worked all right then. Hey, life changes. God's life doesn't change, but he adapts not his message, but the way in which it is delivered and conveyed through our lives to the people that we're living among and we need to not be um, proud we don't need to be proud and say it wasn't like that or I don't and sometimes I've been in situations in my own church here where uh, all of all of the elders are, are younger than I am and uh, occasionally they'll, they'll say something and I think really I'm not sure about that my first port of call when when that happens is actually maybe I might be wrong. This, am I coming at this from the wrong angle? Have I got this wrong? Have I been living for 40, 50, 60, 70 years with that understanding and actually I've led myself up the garden path. I've got it wrong. So I need to check that out. And then having gone to God and talked to him about it, if I still feel that, then I don't know. I'll get in touch directly as a friend with the with the elder or the leader. I didn't quite understand it. Maybe I misunderstood what you were saying, which is very easy for me to do. Or what do you think about this? And we've had some really good conversations. And sometimes it's oh me saying, oh yeah, I see, I see what you're saying. And sometimes it's them saying, oh yeah, I see, I hadn't quite thought of that. Yeah, thank you. And we work it out. So we don't throw our toys out the pram and kind of have a little paddy uh, or you know if we don't agree with the preacher on the Sunday morning have him for lunch as it were carve him up over the joint um, we actually deal with it properly and that's scriptural that is the way it should be and that's the way it should be in church that's the way it should be in family so we need to be humble and remain humble and be open to correction whether we're 10 or 110 I'm not sure I'll make 110, but hey. So we need to be humble and, um, and play our part. And we also need to realise that because we did something a certain way those years ago, and maybe we did it well, that doesn't mean to say we need to do it now. You know, as I get older, there are things that I can't do. You know, I used to, I can still run for a bus. If I really have to, I can still run for a bus. But there are other things that I can't do um and and shouldn't so we need to adapt some of the things that we do and and the way we think about it you hear people uh not particularly in church all over the place saying oh i don't feel any older than i did when i was a teenager or i feel like a teenager well you're not so get used to it it's part of god's plan for you to grow old um and to to deal with it well and to do what you can do now, I mean, a case in point, if you think of Billy Graham through his life, he was saying crusades all over the world. He was traveling, he was doing this, that and the other. As he got older, he couldn't do all of that. But he didn't give up. He didn't change his message. But what he did changed. But it didn't stop him being who he was. He was an evangelist through and through. He never stopped being an evangelist. He carried out his ministry to the end. It's just the way in which he did it changed along the way. And so it should be 
I happen to use Billy Graham as an illustration, but I think he's a wonderful example. So for us, we need to change the things we do. You know, we we had uh, we had two meetings yesterday, one in the morning and one in the evening. I have to say, I had having a little snooze in the afternoon. Um, yeah, things change, but actually, you want to be at your best, don't you? When you go when you go to a meeting in the evening, and you're going to meet with God, and God's going to meet with His people. You want to be alert. You don't want to be falling asleep. So how you do things and what you do may change. What you are does not. Mm, that's really helpful. Um, I love the childlike wonder with which you still approach church even because you realize when you go to a meeting on a Sunday you're going to meet with God that seems to still grab you as something that's worthy of ex getting excited about what rhythms or things practically do you have in your life that have helped keep that aspect of your life soft and excited excited to God do you see what I mean it's a strange way of putting the question well I I would like to say I'm a great man of prayer and I read the Bible from one end to the other in a year. Uh, I'm not a great man of prayer. I, I struggle with praying, but I pray and I try and have a, a regime. Actually, that is the wrong word, regime, a life where in the mornings before I do anything else, I will try and, well, Jill and I always read some Psalms or a Psalm and together in the morning, we find that God will often have something in that psalm that speaks into each of our lives that may very well trigger me off i'm i'm not great in the mornings i, I can be uh morning grumpy i need to kind of have a bit of space to work out who i am and look up look up in my books and see what my name is and you know i kind of just need that space and other people are the other end of the day people but i find that if i go into our living room and, and don't sit looking out of the window at the hills and the royal yacht and the sea and the whatever, but actually sit down with the Bible. Uh, and I use a paper Bible. I, I do use computers and I research things on computers, but I find, personally, I find computers can distract me. So if I've got a computer open, there's a screen there, you can have something flash up or whatever. And I can find that distracting. So personally, I, I use a paper Bible and I will sit there and I'll pick up on some of the things that God's been saying. Well, I'm working through a particular passage day in, day out and try and trace it through. So sometimes that can be half an hour. Sometimes it could be two or three hours. And I just find that God speaks to me and keeps me soft. And sometimes, so um, this Wednesday, I have a, um, a government board meeting thingy um, but I shall make sure that I've spent some time with God before that otherwise you wake up in the morning and think oh I've got to do this today so all your thoughts are onto that so if you get first things first I find that's really helpful and um, I don't find it difficult to be thrilled with with the church I think uh, the church is God's wonderful wonderful creation it's his body on the earth you know, Jesus isn't on the earth now in that sense of the man Jesus who was born of the Virgin Mary. But Jesus is on the earth today because he has a body and it's his church. It's you and me and you know, the other people in my church and the other people in the other churches across Edinburgh, the other churches across Scotland, the other churches across the UK. We are the body of Christ. And so God is still at work through his son in the body today and the body it says builds itself up and we can add and bless one another by um listening to one another. where i was at a meeting yesterday morning and uh, there was uh, a wonderful there was a, a tongue brought by one of our uh, young people i should guess she's just into her 20s lovely lovely young lady and uh, I was sitting, we have a, an old Victorian building. So I was actually up in the balcony yesterday and I, I thought, well, I haven't got the interpretation. Uh, I wonder who's going to bring it. And I thought, oh, I guess it, it might be so-and-so. 
And this guy who, again, in his 20s, came and brought the most wonderful sung interpretation. And uh, I was chatting to him afterwards. He had never brought an interpretation before. Never. And it was powerful. And God was in it. And uh, you see, and, and it blessed my heart. And it pointed me to God. And it made me thrilled with God about how worthy he is. And that was part of the song that came out and the way in which it was sung. And I'm thinking, hey, that guy's really blessed me. You know, this is the body working. Here's this guy in his 20s. He's moved up here to get married, become part of the church. And he's blessing all these people in the church. Isn't it great when that happens? I think it's wonderful. So when you see it work, it's great. When it goes wrong, okay. You pick yourself up, dust yourself down and say, well, that wasn't very good, was it? Let's press on. We don't have a witch hunt. We say, oh, what can we learn from that? How do we, how do we resolve that? But on the whole, isn't it just wonderful? And that is God's answer for this world. Beautiful. Wow, wow. Thank you, Chris. Um, let's, let's finish the story that we, I put a pause on or a pin in all those um, conversational topics ago when we were talking about how God spoke to you to move to Edinburgh, um, I know it resulted in you writing a book that you give out to people. You still give out to people, even in Edinburgh, you were telling me the other day, people ask a, a booklet called Why on Earth Would You Do That? I believe. Um, or you must. What you're doing is what crazy. You're doing is crazy. There it is. Um, so you give that out. as an... The credits are to Don Smith. <laughs> <laughs> that was his phrase. <laughs> He's a bat. The rest of it is what you're doing is crazy, but God is in it. But God is in it. Fantastic. So tell us, how did you know God was in it, to causing you to move from your home of 47 years or your town, of the town that you lived in for 47 years, to a new country and start afresh? I mean, it, by all accounts, it seems that God's using you, as we've talked about in Edinburgh, which is thrilling. Um, but what was it that helped you make that decision for yourself? Well, I mean, it was a surprise. Uh, I certainly for the most of my life never thought I would be living in another country. I don't think. Um, but actually from a child was always aware that God moved people to where he wanted them to. I was fortunate as a, literally as a, as a, I was born into a wonderful uh, family and a, they're part of a great Baptist church in South London, in Purley, uh, which saw remarkable growth and conversions in the 1950s. My dad was heavily involved in that. So I was brought up in a setting where people from that church, young people, as they left, well, actually in the 50s, of course, they left school and, and did their national service in the army. But after that, or university, they were going all over the world. And that was the norm, that God has a big view of this world and he wants to see people saved. So even when I wasn't walking with God, I always had it in the back of my mind that God could place me where he wanted me. And I remember when I left school, I went for my interviews and I went to an interview with uh, Lloyds Bank and uh, in Terminus Road in Eastbourne and uh, was offered a job and one of the things you had to sign I wasn't walking with God but one of the things I had to sign was that I would be willing to go be willing to go where the bank wanted me to go and I thought I can't sign that because I don't know what God wants which was a fairly strange thought for someone who wasn't really walking with God so that has always been in the back of my mind so when uh, I guess uh, I was working with Jez and I was ill. I wasn't ill because I was working with Jez. Shall I, I just probably <laughs> need to make that break. <laughs> um, but I, I was ill. I was off for, I think, oh, five or six weeks and I couldn't speak. And began to feel that God was saying, no, you need to take a sabbatical. You need to actually take time to listen to me and find out what... I want for you for this next season of your life. So uh, we did. Uh, we we took a sabbatical. We took our camper van and we spent, I think, the first four or five weeks kind of going around part of the UK. We went to 
cathedrals, we went to Anglican, we went to New Frontiers, we went to small groups, we went to, because you know, we wanted to learn and see what we could pick up from other people. Um, and all the time we say, God, we want to learn, but are you speaking to us? When we decided we got to move, we did actually make a, a list. We made a fantasy list. We, we said, uh, let's not be too serious about this. Just put down anything that comes into our minds, just in case God's in it, and or for a bit of fun. So where, where might we go? These are our thinking. So the Caribbean, hey, God, it would be great to be called to the Caribbean. So we made a list. It included places like Cornwall, Scotland, which we liked, um, and a, a host of other places. And so... So we worked through until we, in our minds, there were several options. Um, we found God speaking to us in all, virtually all of the churches that we went to, odd or not. So okay, when we were in Anglican Cathedral and someone would speak, there'd be something for us. We were a small group, there'd be something that would speak to us. We went to, you know, churches in the north of England, God spoke to us. With people who we had never met in our lives came up to us in churches with prophetic words. Anyway, uh, it narrowed down to a few options, really. And uh, in our hearts, I think we thought, no, uh, it's probably, probably Scotland, probably is the church at Edinburgh um, who wanted older people. And we qualified. So... Um, one Sunday morning in particular, we were putting out the chairs as we used to at the church in Seaford because we were in a school hall then. And uh, there's a guy there who, super, super guy in the church. Uh, hi, Ross. Um, and, we put, and he just said, hey, every time I see you this morning, every time you walk into my view or whatever, I just have one word that's coming into my head. He said, do you want me to tell you what it is? I did think of saying, no, of course not. Uh, not interested. And he said, he said, Imbra. I went, what? So having been, as you've already referred to, an insolvency practitioner, so you question everything. Okay. You know, what are people knowing? So I then got into that mode. Okay, so, okay, Ross, what do you know? Do you, and he said, I don't know anything. <laughs> he said, um, I said, well, you, you know, we went there. He said, well, I knew you'd been on holiday to Scotland, been to Edinburgh. I didn't, and that was months ago. I didn't know anything other than that. But it's just, that was the word. And so things really got crystal clear. There were scriptures, there were, there were preaches. I have notes upon notes of days, times when God spoke to us. You can look back, you can go to those people. So, yeah, it was very, very clear that we should come here. And we've been so thrilled to be part of this, this great church up here in, in Edinburgh. And, and the churches that are around, there's some brilliant churches in Edinburgh. God's doing some remarkable stuff. There's some challenges and difficulties that everyone faces along the way. And there's some, been some big things going on, but there have been so many encouragements. And to find myself involved in sitting in meetings with government officials and ministers and cabinet secretaries and whatever uh, is just, I find it bizarre. I, I was saying to Jez just the other day, it's, how it unfolds is just so strange. You know, the wonderful question living here, you know, people obviously know I'm not from Edinburgh, you know. Strangely, I just don't have the accent. And I said, oh, what brought you here? My goodness, what a wonderful question. Uh, and if they're silly enough to ask it, I'm silly enough to answer it. And, and often we'll give them a book or something and people are like, wow, so God speaks today. You think God's... And they see what's going on. And in a sense, what God has done has validated the fact, not that he's spoken to me, but that he speaks to people. God is concerned for the man and woman living in the flat, the man at the bus stop. He actually has an interest in people and he will speak to them to change their lives. God is not irrelevant. 
So it's given us wonderful opportunities. And I find myself sometimes even sitting in government meetings and it's like watching a video, like sitting there watching the television and you see it all happening before you and you hear yourself saying things and you think, gosh, how is it all this happening? This is interesting. How did that? And there's no strain in it. And um, I find it scary. I find it a responsibility. I find it sometimes that when uh, a government minister says to you, okay, well, we're bringing our recommendation to Holyrood. We're bringing our press release to the Scottish people about uh, this plan. We need to have some statements about it. Um, and we're sitting in the meeting with people highly qualified whatever and uh, so I'd like some you know some statements from you to go in the press release and then so someone who I esteem greatly and is in a particular industry and has knowledge of it said okay well before we get too involved in that we instruct our PR department to help us write all this for the press release um, we don't all 11 of us or whatever it is however many there were we don't always spend hours and hours on this. Is there a kind of pecking order as to who you want to say something? To which the minister said something along the lines of, oh, um, yeah, I, I like, um, I'd like several people to say something, but I must have something from Chris Ashurst. <laughs> so I'm thinking, really? And actually that kind of weighs in on you. And I'm in the 70s, so I'm learning. I just find it incredible that this bloke from Seaford is sitting in this situation and uh, God is hopefully using it to bring hope to people. Wow. Beautiful, Chris. I think that's as good a place as any we could hope for to end our conversation, our time together. Such an inspiring moment in your life and to see what God's done in you across your life. Um, thank you so much for taking time to speak to us and to share your heart uh, we really look forward to to hearing about what god's done as a result of all these meetings and we're praying that you manage to wield your prayer power to release the scottish government to spend millions and millions of pounds or whoever needs to spend the millions and millions of pounds to bring hope and uh, security to people in those high-rise flats so god bless you and thank you so much for your time today thanks james it's been a privilege